G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon is based on Mark chapter 4 verses 35 to chapter 5 verse 20 and it's called God the Deliverer. We hope you enjoy the sermon. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark, chapter 4, beginning at the 31st verse. Glory Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious quail came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, "'Teacher, don't you care if we drown?' He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, "'Quiet, be still.' Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, "'Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith?' They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They went across the lake to the region of the Gassians. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had not been told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well, then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave this region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you 
and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell to the Dicoma de Polis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we're into the third week of our Follow the Saviour series, looking at the Gospel of Mark. So far, we've seen Jesus teaching his disciples about farming and about gardening, telling them parables and encouraging them to listen. That beautiful word in Greek, akuo, akuo, listen to him. Jesus has been talking a lot about the kingdom of God. And today, he's going to walk the talk. He's got a date with two storms, one on the outside and one on the inside. And in Mark 4.36, we read, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Jesus has been teaching on the good side of the Sea of Galilee a side with lots of sympathetic listeners who cared about God and wanted to know him. Today, he's crossing over to the dark side, and he's crossing over with intention. After all his teaching, there's something that he needs to do, and there's someone he needs to meet. It's been said that there are three types of people people who are going into a storm of life, people who are going through a storm of life, and people who are coming out of one. Jesus here is sailing directly into two storms, one on the outside and one on the inside. So let's look at the storm on the outside. The Sea of Galilee, or the Kinneret as it's known today, is the lowest flesh Fleshwater, freshwater lake on earth. It's a small lake, about 21 kilometers long and about 13 kilometers wide. But because of its location, the winds coming off the outlying hills are known for whipping up sudden storms that cause chaos for boats. This portrait is made by uh, the Dutch um, painter Rembrandt, and it's a depiction of the type of storm that Jesus and his disciples deal with. Jesus and his flotilla of fishing boats set sail and find themselves in a hurricane. At least three of Jesus' disciples were fishermen, but even they are freaking out at this storm. It's a particularly big one. The boat is taking on water, and the disciples wake Jesus up and shout in verse 38, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus gets up, And tells the storm to be quiet, be still. Remarkably, the winds and the waves listen. They obey him. There's that akua word again. And the group of boats are left on a sea of glass. Jesus gets up his disciples. They'd seen him heal people, work wonders. But now they're truly terrified, not of the storm, but of the one the storm listened to. Now, Anglican theologian J.C. Ryle offers five helpful applications worth taking from this text. 
And if you've got your pew sheets, you'll notice that there's space for notes in there. Um, And you might want to jot down these five things that we can really glean from this account. And the first thing we learn is that the disciples are not stormproof. All disciples, including us, are not stormproof. Being a follower of Jesus won't stormproof your life. But know the difference between Jesus and his disciples. While seasoned sailors are losing their heads, Jesus is resting his head on a pillow. Jesus is in a state of complete trust in God's sovereignty, while the disciples overlook the fact that they have the one who made the sea and the wind in the boat with them. Jesus gets up his disciples, not for waking them up and asking for help. He gets up them for their despair. Don't you care if we drown, they ask. Of course Jesus cares. And he cares enough to expose their lack of faith. Jesus has just spent days teaching them about faith and obedience and about the kingdom of God and trusting God. As he walks the talk, the disciples need to learn that faith is knowing that if Jesus is in your boat, we can smile at the storm. We can smile at any storm life throws at us. The The second thing we need to learn is that Jesus got tired. This is the first time we see Jesus sleeping in Mark, although he's been on a whirlwind preaching circuit. And every time he seems to go away to rest, people surround him and want him to heal and teach them. But here we see that sleeping and resting are natural parts of being human. Sometimes we can kid ourselves into thinking that being a good person involves hard work and hustle all the time. But rest is a vital part of living for God. In the restless panic of this world and the storms we face, so often we forget to rest on the Lord. If God is in control, friends, then I'm not. And that's a good thing. It's good and godly to take time to rest and recover. And we have Jesus as an example of that. The third thing worth gleaning from this passage is we need to recognize Jesus' power. The key question Mark wants us to ask is on the lips of the disciples. Who is this that even the wind and the waves akuo, they obey him? Mark knows the answer and he wants us to know him too. Jesus is God in person. A hero might steer the ship to shore. A great leader might help the crew to ride out the storm. But only Jesus can calm the storm. The way Mark tells the story of this miracle is clearly intended to compare Jesus with the prophet Jonah. Jonah tries to run away from God and God's mission. But when God sends a storm on the boat that he's sleeping in, Jonah gets the crew to throw him into the sea, and the storm calms down. Here, Jesus is better than Jonah. He's the sleeper at the bottom of the boat, but he's also the one who calms the storm. 
Like Jonah, Jesus will sacrifice himself for the lives of his crew, but he won't sacrifice himself to the storm. Instead, Jesus will die on a cross for his crew and to rescue us all from sin and death. The fourth thing worth noting that J.C. Ryle points out to us is that Jesus is patient. He doesn't lose his cool with his disciples. Instead, he calms the storm and then encourages them to build their faith. We sometimes kid ourselves into thinking that if God showed up in our lives, we'd believe in him and have no doubts. Here we see that the disciples have God in the stern and they still think that the storm is more powerful. Jesus shows incredible patience, again showing us that whatever storms life throw at us, God is for us and God is with us. The final thing that J.C. Ryle reminds us of is that Jesus is still in our boat. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, you can invite him into your boat today and we'll pray a prayer to that end at the end of the sermon. But if you're trusting in Jesus, he's in your boat right now. He's here today by the power of the Holy Spirit and he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Storms in life knock our confidence and trick us into forgetting about God. Jesus sails his disciples directly into the storm, but he doesn't send them there alone. In the same way, God allows the storms of our lives to roll on in. God will never leave us alone so that we have to deal with them ourselves. So what are you facing, friend? What storms in life are you enduring? How can we pray for you? How can we support you? How can we be asking God to help you with the storm you're facing today? He may not calm your storm immediately, but you can bet your bottom dollar that God will get you through. So God calms the storm on the outside and then Jesus lands on the other side of the shore and calms a storm on the inside. Instantly, as he steps ashore, Jesus meets a demon-possessed man. Now, the first thing that we need to glean from this passage is that demons are real. As a preacher, it's tempting to explain away the demon stuff or to just go around it. In our culture, demons aren't talked about and exorcisms are things for science fiction. But if you believe in evil and you encounter it often enough, one day you will encounter evil you can't explain. In my work, I occasionally meet people who are dealing with such intense spiritual darkness that it's impossible to put their experience down to natural causes. People who are under such emotional and spiritual attack from the outside that it's impossible to put things down to chemical imbalances or hallucinations. 
evil is real and demons are real. But at this point, we need to make sure that we don't get stuck. Satan doesn't mind if you believe in him or not. All he wants to do is to distract you from God. This is what the Gerasene people are trying to do. They're putting Demon Boy in the graveyard beside the pigsty to keep evil at arm's length. Sadly, this suits Satan fine, as people who are avoiding their spirituality are easy to control. And he can get on with digressing our thoughts from God. Thinking that evil isn't real can often lead us to dabble with tarot cards, horoscopes, and letting evil into our lives. We can kid ourselves into thinking that it's all harmless fun. Sadly, this is when evil gets through the back door. And we need to recognize that there is a battle for our souls being waged in a spiritual world that we can't see or touch, but is very real at the same time. Sometimes, though, um, instead of getting digressed or possessed by demons, uh, we can become obsessed with them. We can begin to make the opposite mistake and making Satan and demons bigger than they are. We can see Satan lurking behind every rock, and all of a sudden, my stubbed toe is a form of spiritual attack. We need to recognize that the spiritual realm is real, but we don't need to become so obsessed by it that we lose our focus on God. Friends, the good news is, if you are trusting in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and you can't become possessed by a demon. A demon can't come into your life and come into your heart because the Holy Spirit is already there. The light of Christ is already there. But still... Satan will throw his worst at you. And so we mustn't become digressed, possessed, or obsessed with demons. Because Jesus is our ghost buster. And he deserves our attention. (coughs) Now, if you've ever seen um, the film The Ghostbusters, you'll know that the tagline is, I ain't afraid of no ghost. And Jesus isn't afraid of the garrisoned demoniac. Jesus eyeballs this man straight up. He's living among dead bodies, he's beside pigsties, and he's harming himself and others. Chains can't hold him, and he runs up to Jesus in a region where Roman soldiers regularly abused and pillaged people. This poor man has a pack of demons. A legion was a a collective noun for 6,000 Roman soldiers. He has these demons marching through his heart and he has the torment and the strength to match. But Jesus isn't afraid. This man has been confined to the darkest place because people don't want to know him. But Jesus comes to him and he runs up to God, falls on his knees and cries in verse 7, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. The man can't help but kneel in Jesus' presence. And the demons beg him for mercy. They know their days are numbered. And so they beg to be cast into the pigs. 
Now notice here that Jesus doesn't use magic words or lengthy prayers. He's the ghostbuster. He's powerful enough to sort demons out and calm the storm in this man's heart. It's worth noting here that Jesus gives the demons permission to go into the pigs. In the book of Revelation, chapter 20, we read of Satan and his demons and all the powers of evil being thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, dealt with forever. But Jesus' knockout blow at this point in salvation history hasn't landed yet. On the cross, Jesus triumphs over Satan, sin, and death. He deals with it once and for all. And when he returns, Satan, sin, and demons will be obliterated in the fire of God's love. And so at this point, they still have some power, but they're still no match for Jesus. And so Jesus, the ghostbuster, drives out the demons, and they possess 2,000 pigs that immediately destroy themselves. This brings the storm that was inside the man to the outside. And we get this violent depiction of what it was doing inside the man's heart. But the result of this ghost-busting episode is laid out in verse 15. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. Here we see the wholeness that God creates in us. As the kingdom of God comes up against the kingdom of darkness, the storm loses. The poor man who was naked, scarred, and out of his mind is now sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and in his right mind. Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of God and now he's demonstrating for us what the kingdom of God does. It fills this dark space with God's light. Friends, here we need to see that Jesus has power to drive out the darkness in our hearts. We live in a nation encountering a mental health epidemic. Levels of anxiety, depression, self-harm, Dysphoria and suicide are skyrocketing. Just this week, a study on gender-based violence in Anglican households, in our churches, came out and showed that domestic violence is rife and at alarming levels, even amongst God's people. As a nation, we're richer, more educated, and living longer than ever before. But the storms inside of us keep raging. While it's good to turn to medicine, doctors and psychologists and other forms of support to help us deal with our problems, is it any wonder that as we cut ourselves off from God and stop looking to Jesus to help us through the storms in our lives, that we're panicking like the disciples? Here, Jesus brings the kingdom of God into this man's life. The darkness is driven out and wholeness comes in. 
The man wants to follow Jesus back across the lake, but Jesus has a better plan for him. And it involves wholeness in the community. It's a little bit sad that the man begs to go with Jesus. But Jesus, I think, wants the man to stay in this community because he wants the wholeness of the kingdom of God to wash over the community. Some people find this passage offensive uh, because uh, the pigs uh, are destroyed and the farmers lose their livelihood. Why would Jesus do that? But Jesus doesn't do it. The demons do it. And this is exactly why the community needs the wholeness of the kingdom of God. They're so freaked out by Jesus that they ask him to go away. Now, there's something worrying about a community when we're so concerned about livestock or economic prosperity that we're happy to sacrifice people on the altar of success. If asked, the people here would have chosen for the poor man to remain in bondage rather than lose their pig money. They don't want to listen to Jesus. They don't want to accruo to him. The demons are listening to Jesus. The man wants to listen to Jesus. The community, uh uh-uh. They don't want the kingdom of God to upset their agendas. And so Jesus is a gentleman, and he honors their request. And we read in verse verse 18. Oops. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. The Decapolis was um, a a series, a, a coalition of ten towns. And so this formerly demon-possessed man goes into these ten towns to bring the wholeness of the kingdom of God among them. He is sent into the world. Jesus wants not to just heal this man, but to heal his whole community. And even though they don't want anything to do with him, he leaves them with a witness and the message of God's power and love spreads. Here we see this man becoming one of the first people to take the good news of Jesus into a non-Jewish community. And here we see that God doesn't just deliver us from the storms in our lives to serve our own needs. Instead, God delivers us for a purpose, to help others and tell them the good news of God's kingdom. Friends, when was the last time you told someone about the good things that God is doing in your life? God's kingdom is breaking into our world right now, bringing healing and wholeness to every heart it touches. God doesn't keep us from storms completely. Instead, he stays in our boat and gives us the spirit we need to get through. 
So friends, as you ask yourselves, what storms am I facing today? Don't forget to think about the storms that people around you are facing and think about how God is sending you into a stormy world so you might be an agent of the kingdom wherever you go. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.